Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. Um, so now we'll hear God's Word from Genesis, starting Genesis chapter 6. And if you think you've been talking about Advent and the first Sunday of Advent and all that, and why, where, what does Genesis chapter 6 and Noah and the flood have to do with Advent? Um, it actually has a lot to do with Advent. So the main reason we're in Genesis chapter 6 is because we're working our way through Genesis. But it turns out, as you look at the story of Noah and the flood, one of the things, even though this is a familiar story, one of the things that's a little bit surprising sometimes as you read it in the Bible is just how much space in the Bible is taken up with this story. It covers basically four chapters of Genesis. It's a lot of text. And so we're going to give that the, the time that it needs. We're going to spend all four Sundays of Advent in the story of Noah and the flood because this is a story of God's promises. The fundamental story of Noah and the flood is the story of God's promises. And so those promises, promise is the, one of the major themes of the Advent season. So it is entirely appropriate to focus on Noah and the flood in the season of Advent. So today, as we read this, I want you to ask yourself, in all the words that I'm about to read, what is God trying to communicate with all these words? What is the overall message? What are we supposed to take away from this? Especially since most of us are familiar with the basic stories of God sent a flood on the earth and Noah built a big boat and put a lot of animals on it. But I can say that in one sentence. The Bible says it in a lot more. So what is God trying to communicate with all these words? So I'm going to read now from Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 through 7:24. And if I read a little bit longer from the Bible, uh, you can take comfort that I will try to talk a little bit less after I read. So don't be afraid. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, the length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. 
Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your households, for I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and the rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word in all of its details. We thank you that it was written down and preserved for us so that it would be your word for us today. We pray now that as we reflect on it together, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Sink these words deep into us, that they may not be not merely information for our heads, but transformation for our hearts, changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live, today and in days to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I, had, I said I, had my, I have my bag here. Do you know what I have in my bag? It shouldn't be all that surprising. I have a pitcher of water. And I have a cup. And when you see this pitcher of water, and when you see this cup, what do you think when you see the water and the cup? Think, do you think, does anybody want to drink? Do you think refreshment? If I pour some water in the cup, it seems like a cool, refreshing drink. Because that's what water does. But what happens if the water is not in the cup? What happens if the water is instead poured out on the ground? Well then, yeah, Suzanne's glaring at me now. <laughs> then we don't, have, we don't have a cool, refreshing drink, but we have a mess. Somebody might slip on that mess as the water's on the ground. I have a towel here, don't worry. We'll clean that up. 
But uh, so somebody could slip on the mess. Water is dangerous in that way. But what if water is not only not on the cup, not just on the ground, but what if that water on the ground filled this whole room? And then it would carry us away. Because water, when it becomes powerful, when it becomes a flood, water cannot be controlled. You just have to, you can't control the water once it gets too great. Instead, you just, you got to go with it. And it becomes not just, as, not a source of refreshment, but a source of destruction. And what we see here in Genesis chapter 6 is the waters of the earth that were meant to water the earth and to make it grow, as we saw earlier in Genesis, have become destruction for the earth. And as we ask, what are we, what are we to learn from this? What does God want us to know? What the main thing that God wants us to know is that his destruction of the earth with this water is perfectly justified. There is no hint anywhere in this text that God was wrong to send floodwaters over the earth. And you see, our problem, our main problem is so often we want, we want God to just, to just be the cup of water, to just be refreshment for us that we control when we want it. And Genesis 6 and 7 reminds us that God is powerful and that God is just in all of his ways, including when that justice means wiping off the earth that he has made. For God is not only the refreshing cup of water for us, but he is also the raging waters of the flood that he brings on the earth to show that he is perfectly just in all his ways. See, there's no, you know, you, you may or may not know that uh, like many of the stories in Genesis, there are other stories from ancient sources that have some similarities. There's other tales of an early flood in ancient Mesopotamia. There's other tales of creation of the earth in all cultures. But in most of those tales, the gods appear as somewhat fickle, as somewhat difficult and dangerous and, or petulant and angry. And so these things happen. But the God of the Bible, the true story of the great flood, shows a God who is perfectly just, perfectly in control, even when that justice means punishment for the people of the earth. And so this morning, as we enter into the season of Advent, the season of looking to God's promises, we have to reckon with our need for the promise. What we see here in Genesis 6 and 7 is that God is perfectly just, and so we need a promise. And all we can do in the midst of the flood, in the midst of seeing the floodwaters described in Genesis, in the midst of feeling buffeted sometimes in our own lives by the floods of life that are around us, all we can do is cling to God's promises. Because one of the things we see in the repetition of things in Genesis 6 and 7, we see God is perfectly just. He is perfectly justified in bringing the flood. Why? Because the earth was corrupt. It said that in verse 11. The earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, in Genesis chapter 1, that was supposed to be, behold, it was good, and now, behold, it was corrupt. And what should a just God do in the face of corruption? He has to deal with it. It is all that is right for him to do. So we see that God is perfectly just, but the other thing we see is the repetition that Noah and his family did everything as God commanded. They clung to his promises. 
God made very specific promises. He told them exactly what to do. He told them exactly how to build the ark. He told them exactly what animals were supposed to go on the ark. And then he repeated it like three or four times. All the different kinds of animals that were supposed to go on the earth. But four times in chapter 6, verse 22, in chapter 7, verse 5, and verse 9 and 15, the text records that Noah did exactly as God commanded him. He clung to the promise of God. He believed God. And he believed that God in his justice would deal with this corruption and violence on earth. And so he clung to his promises. And it doesn't tell us much about how Noah felt in the midst of this. It probably was not fun. I think I put this in the Resurrection Weekly email yesterday morning. But somebody pointed out to me last week at the children's ministry conference that I was at that if you read the story of the ark, we usually put it on church, you know, nursery walls, Noah and the ark and the animals, and they're all happy in the rainbow. It was not a happy situation. Just here in Genesis chapter 7, we see that the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. That is almost half of a year that Noah is floating on the ark. And then when we read on into chapter 8, we're going to see that Noah and his family were on that ark for a whole nother half of a year. They were on the ark with the animals, with just the food they had brought for a whole year. Most of that time being bounced around on the waves, not knowing where they were, when all they could see was water. This was not a fun and happy time for Noah and his family. But it was a time that they clung to God's promises. And so in the season of Advent, as we look forward with hope to the excitement of Christmas and the celebrations that come then, it's okay if everything does not look perfect and happy all the time. It's okay if the waiting is hard. Because it's not about all of it being easy. It's about clinging to the promises of God in the midst of it. And knowing that celebration is coming because God has kept his promises. And God is perfectly just in all that he does. So instead of three applications of that this morning, like I said, I'm not going to talk as long. I only have two. I had two last week, two this week. Two times in particular when we need to cling to his promises when it's hard. The first time is when the world is evil, and the second time is when we are evil. The world is evil around us, and we see the evil inside in our hearts. See, when the world is evil, that's, that's the emphasis here. I already said that the world was corrupt. But it's not just me saying this, that this should matter for us when we see evil around us. The Bible itself says this. If you go to the New Testament in the book of 2 Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter is talking about bad people in the world, false prophets, false teachers, people who will do wrong. And he is trying to encourage the, his audience, the people who got his letter, to not be discouraged, to bear up under suffering. And he references back to Noah. This is 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Peter is saying to his readers, and he's saying to us, from the story of Noah, that when you see the evil of the world around you, when you are hurt by other people, when you feel persecuted by other people, whether for your faith or whether just because, because people are mean, because people are sinful, and they're selfish, and they do bad things, and they hurt. We get hurt by people all the time. 
We see that in an individual level. We see that in a broad level. We see that around the world. We see that in genocides. We see that in wars. We see that in greed and corruption. We still see corruption in our world today. So when we see that, we can trust that God also sees. That we are not alone in seeing the evil of the world. And Peter reminds us, looking back at this story, that God took care of evil in the time of Noah. He did not stand idly by. And so when we see evil in this world today, God is going to take care of it. This is the meaning of Advent. Advent means coming. And it's a time that we remember Christ's first coming, but we also look forward to his second coming, that Christ will come again. And when he comes again, he will deal with evil once and for all. And he will save those who are eagerly waiting for him, as our assurance of grace from Hebrews said a little bit earlier. So what do we do with that? When we see the world as evil, we know that God is going to take care of us. It frees us from the pressure of the world. It frees us from the depression of the world, of just being beaten down and discouraged by all the evil we see. It frees us from having to take matters into our own hands. It frees us to trust God, to wait and watch and pray and say, God, this is evil. This hurts. I am being hurt by these people. What? Come, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come and take care of this. Now, sometimes he shows us a way to walk before him in obedience, where we are to make practical steps in bringing his kingdom to places of injustice. Many times he says, I will take care of that. And we wait and we pray and we trust that God will take care of the evil in this world. So we see the evil around us. We trust that God is just. We cling to his promise that Jesus is coming back to make all things right. But it's not just the world out there that's evil, is it? We also have to reckon with the evil in our own hearts. See, because the other question that comes in Genesis chapter 6 and 7, when God is bringing his judgment on the world, and he says, Noah alone was righteous, blameless in his generation, it raises the question for each of us, am, am I a righteous man? Am I really righteous and blameless like Noah? That I would obey God in that way? That I would make an ark just on God's say-so and endure the, endure the scorn of everybody around me and embark on this foolish task of building a football stadium-sized boat? I don't know that I would. The good news for us is that our hope in Genesis 6 and 7 is not that we would be like Noah. But our hope is that we would have the righteousness of Noah. For again, the authors of the New Testament help us. In Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about Noah. It says this in Hebrews 11 verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The righteousness that comes by faith. Where do we get the righteousness of Noah? Where do we get the righteousness that we need to be saved by God? To be saved in his ark? The only place we get that righteousness is by faith in Jesus. Hebrews 11 is talking about Noah and all those before him who with their faith, with their belief, looked ahead to the salvation that God offered. But then Paul and the other authors of the New Testament point us back to look at Jesus and say this righteousness by faith 
comes from looking to Jesus. Jesus, the one who by his perfect sacrifice took on that wrath of God. So when he took on the floodwaters, in fact, Peter in 1 Peter will compare those floodwaters to baptism, that in that Jesus took on the floodwaters of God's punishment when he went to the cross, and he bears us safely through those floodwaters to make us his family. That the family of the ark, that Noah's family, has become the family of God. The family of Jesus bound together by the promise that we need, by our hope in that promise. So what do we do when we see the evil in our hearts and we say, I do not obey God the way that I should? We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus and we put our faith in him and we say, God, I cannot do this. I cannot make myself right before you. I do not have the righteousness of Noah. I am not blameless. But I do believe in Jesus, your son, my savior, that he died for me. And so we turn to Jesus and we live. And as God brings his just punishment on the world for all the evil in the world, he comes to save those who eagerly await his coming. And we live together on the ark through some of the turbulence, the family of God to growing together to live in the new world that he is creating out of the waters of the flood. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us we thank you that you save us by the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. We thank you that you bring us through the flood, that you do not count our own sin against us. We thank you that you will be just, that you will deal with the evil in this world, and that you will save us as you look upon your son. You bring us into your family. We give you all thanks and praise for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.